Hello, everybody. We are so happy to have Janet Lee at the organ playing those good, good old hand-clapping songs. Thank you, Janet Lee. <clears throat> and hello, everybody else out there. This is a, a great day. Uh, wow. <clears throat> Here we are in Edmonton. And uh, when I looked at the temperature, it said zero. Whoa, we've had some pretty cold uh, days, and that is uh, a warm day. <laughs> anyway, to, this is going to be an interesting uh, time of discussion and teaching, and uh, we are so happy that uh, you are tuned in and tuned on, because uh, this will go down in the annals of history as uh, a classic. I want to... Um, <clears throat> maybe reiterate a few things that uh, we uh, talked about. That, uh, Janet, we, I want to reiterate a few things that we talked about and uh, uh, go over those again. Um, I, I see people are uh, calling in here trying to find out if we're on yet, and we obviously are. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, uh, you know, we talked last... Um, last uh, week, about um, several very interesting things. And uh, one of the things that we talked about was the stigmata. And then we also talked about um, how that the scripture in the last uh, uh, verse of the book of John, where the Bible talks about, um, you know, if all the things were written that should be written and and uh, we explained that in a very unique way that uh, really, uh, really gives, uh, you know, proof to uh, some of the teachings that we do uh, that, uh, that this cosmos, this universe could not conclude all the word that pertains to the story of Jesus Christ that should be written, should be written. And... Um, and we also showed that through faith we understand that the worlds were framed. And we say, okay, right there, that's worlds. Uh, that shows that uh, there's more than one world. And, uh, and that they were framed through faith. So there's so many scriptures. And the list keeps building because we keep, you know, wanting to, to give more and more information to you. We... Uh, we have lots of revelations uh, to, to, to define uh, uh, once we really get involved in opening up uh, the lost book of wars. Uh, that's going to be sensational upon sensational. We're going to, uh, you know, um, show you some things uh, in that sense that uh, you just, just, you know, haven't had a chance to know. You haven't had a chance for anyone to teach you, and and uh, now you're going to have that chance. We're uh, we're talking about the the Satan's seat. Uh, we know that in Revelations twelve thirteen, uh, uh, he has a presence right in some churches. But we also know that uh, in um, the ninth chapter of uh, of Revelations that he's going to have this bottomless pit uh, uh, of space which uh, he is going to uh, manage everything and uh, he's going to manage it in such a way that he will be uh, uh, more expanded than he's ever been before. 
He's going to turn this this uh, bottomless pit, uh, which he has the key, will be given the key to. He's going to he's going to turn that into one of the most uh, prolific production uh, 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 concepts and and uh, and and actuations of uh, his uh, uh, ideologies and and uh, inventions that uh, could even be imagined by by a mortal man. And uh, we're going to cover some of those uh, things. Uh, people say, well, oh, that's, that's not like what I've heard. I, what I've always heard that he's going to be locked up in there. He'll be in prison. <clears throat> yeah, well, uh, you need to hear it right. Uh, I know that those kind of things have been taught. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, you don't put someone in prison and then say, now here's the key to it. Which, which is the same thing as saying, you know, uh, you can come and go as long as you always come back uh, and uh, you don't wander away too far. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, the people of God have got to really wake up and really see what the Bible is really saying, what it's really talking about, what the Word of God really is. And when they do see this, this marvel and this revelation, uh, <laughs> they're, they're going to shout. They're going to shout because they're being set free from, from the, the, the glass darkly. They're being set free from all those uh, <coughs> fuzzy windows and, and uh, complex and confusing uh, uh, statements that have been made uh, with uh, the literature, uh, literature uh, of the church and, and uh, have uh, just you know, confused an awful lot of people. Okay, now, before we get too much into too many of these things, uh, by special request, someone was asking me if I would just go over uh, this thing that I was uh, presenting uh, in ma as a manifest oracle. I think I started from Galatians 2:16 uh, through 21, and it talks about the works of the law, the judgment of the law, that no flesh can be justified. And... Um, uh, that if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. This is very important. <clears throat> very, very, very important. And uh, we want you to uh, really understand it in the fullest sense, um, what we are saying here. Uh, I think that there has been some incredibly, uh, incredible misunderstandings uh, in the Bible that uh, people have not uh, uh, you know, been able to uh, go the right direction, have the right consensus, because uh, they've been living off of misinterpretations. Now, number one, um, uh, let's talk about holiness of God, and let's talk about how that in the church that there are people that do commit sins, and some of these sins are, are, are pretty uh, desperate and, uh, and pretty vulgar. Uh, and, and yet, um, whenever we see these things mentioned, as they have been mentioned by Paul, uh, Paul is always giving the instructions uh, for people to change their way, get straightened out, and, uh, and, and to go on with, uh, uh, w with the work of God. Now, um, uh, there is um, uh, a thing that a lot, of, a lot of Christians have the idea that if someone uh, makes a sin, that then they need to come and confess those sins before the church. 
There is absolutely no Bible for that, uh, nor is there any Bible for confessing your sins before a priest. The only one, uh, you know, of course, they, their idea is that they are acting uh, as uh, an emissary uh, for God. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's not necessary. You, you, you can go directly to God. That's what the Bible tells you to do. You know, Jesus said, After this manner shall you pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the other thing is, someone will say, Well, no, there is a scripture that does teach that. No, there is not a scripture that teaches that. You know, uh, I think you I think you might be referring to I believe it's James uh, 2:16 in which it says confess your faults one to another. You need to look up that word fault. Uh, that is not talking about your sins. And and uh it's a totally different thing. Uh the meaning of it is totally different. And that's one thing to confess your fault, uh, you know, make a mistake, say, "Oh, that was my fault. I'm, I'm I apologize for that. I I uh, I I, uh, I came at uh, the I came at the wrong time. I thought it was earlier, or or uh, I shouldn't have been talking during the the, the teaching, or but I had a problem with my kid, or something like that, uh, and all kinds of things that people can come up with. Those are false. Those the Bible says you can confess, but the Bible says it's a shame to mention those things that were done as sins. It's a shame to mention them. And, and I've been to churches where people get up and they go through all the detail of, of the sins that they've committed. They want to get into the, the stickiness of the adulteries and, and want to get into uh, the stickiness of the perversions and all of those kinds of things. And, and, uh, and people just sit there being entertained. And, and uh, the, the, the people do not have the heart of Jesus Christ. They do not have the compassion of Jesus Christ. They do not have the capability of forgetting those things uh, that, that, that uh, people have done. I don't say there are not some people out there that, that can handle it, but most people, uh, they keep those things in their mind and it affects them as a, a relationship-wise uh, on and on and on because they think of that, every time they think of that person wanting to, prophesy or give a message or, or to give a testimony, they think of the sins that that person committed. And uh, they don't get the story, they don't get the picture that, that when God forgives somebody, he wipes out those sins, he eradicates them, and they're gone. And uh, <clears throat> so um, we're talking about uh, some of those things, and, 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 and uh, David, you know, uh, in uh, Psalms 32, uh, you know, it said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And then he goes on to tell, you know, uh, uh, about all the suffering that he is in and how that he went to God and asked God to forgive him for his sins. And, and so uh, it's, it's, it is true that there are, there are uh, you know, persons that God does not impute their sin to them. But let me make something clear to you right now that many people do not know or understand. If a person... Uh, commits a sin and, and uh, does something against 
against themselves and against God, but because of a certain anointing or because of a certain calling or because uh, God has um, made a covenant with that person so that the sin and the transgression is not imputed to them, then they are forgiven of their sins. But that does not mean that there will not be a penalty. And, and it's sort of like this. It's sort of the um, best example I can think of is, um, is if you were driving in a vehicle and you got a ticket and there was a fine, but because of a, of a certain uh, aspect of the law uh, uh, that applied to you, uh, it did not go against your driving record. It did not go on the record. It did not affect your driving record. But you still had to pay the penalty. And that is true in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it says that people that were ignorant did not even know that they were doing something wrong. When they were found to have committed that wrong, they still had to pay the trespass offering. But, you know, they wouldn't be penalized like uh, being stoned to death or something like that. But they still had to pay the penalty uh, offering. And, and so that is, that is Bible all the way through. And, and it must be kept in uh, a tight, uh, strict understanding of, of God's grace and, and love. Now, um, uh, I, I mentioned uh, something here um, that was very interesting. Um, I put, don't try to justify your actions done in your mortal body be they sins or strange things put on you to do by the Holy Ghost, that to some persons it appeared to be sin, but were not. Um, now, I can give so many examples of that, but I remember one time when um, there was a man who used to be an evangelist, and he, um, he had backslidden and, uh, and uh, he had a business, and the Lord spoke to me and said, go and stand out in the front by his store, off to the side. Do not talk to anyone. If he comes out and says anything to you, do not talk with him. But you are to do this for, for uh, uh, seven days. Now, each day I'd go there for several hours and stand. And, uh, and of course, he saw me. He knew I was there. And um, uh, uh, he um, uh, was, it really upset him. Now, there were some Christian people that thought that that was... Um, judgmental and that that was uh, uh, sinful and not of God. But God had clearly told me that I was to go and do that. And, and although it was not my nature to want to do something like that, it was very difficult for me, uh, I went ahead and did it because God told me I was to do it. And, and so uh, to other people that looked at that, they thought I was sinning by judging this man. Uh, but between me and, the, and God by the Holy Ghost, I, I was not sinning. I was doing uh, what the Holy Spirit had told me to do. And, and there was really uh, good that did come out of that because uh, afterwards we did have a chance to, to talk and to go into some uh, very uh, uh, interesting things between us about God and about him, his restoration to God. Uh, and I could just think of, of examples all throughout the scripture and, and all throughout my life uh, where there have been, been things of that nature. Now, um, I think that um, uh, we have to be so very, very careful just not to judge people. 
you know, like like uh, uh, it gets very, very, uh, uh, very, very uh, critical and, and delicate uh, when people start uh, getting involved in uh, breaking some of the uh, laws of God uh, that have to do with with um, intimate uh, personal things. Uh, relationships, uh, uh, you know, sexual relationships, uh, uh, other kinds of relationships, and uh, and uh, and this has to be something that uh, that uh, uh, you know is 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 written out. There are laws for this in the Bible. Um, uh, at the same time, there have been there have been exceptions. Uh, you know, we we know. Um, what happened to Lot and his two daughters, and and what happened there, and and we know uh, uh, other examples. Uh, 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 one prophet who who was told to go out and and take this uh, harlot uh, for his wife, and things like that. Uh, we can't judge those things. Are you know are uh, uh, are can be exceptional, uh, but by the same token. Uh, that does not mean that that person that has done that uh, will not have a penalty to pay, uh, because there's there's genetic penalties, there's uh, uh, other kind of penalties uh, that can happen and do happen, and um, uh, it's only between God and uh, that person uh, as to to where the extent of that is, but it really you know um, is of the nature that that then if people find these things out and they believe that uh, this person has done something way, way out of line uh, uh, and maybe they don't want to judge him, but they they want to, uh, you know, to, uh, to get it settled, uh, sometimes, you know, that is not a, a score that you can settle. But but you can make a decision, uh, like if if you're in a group, you can make a decision that, uh, well, uh, you know, that there would be a period of time that that person uh, would just not, uh, you know, be in the main function of things until, uh, you know, you get a leading that that, that person's uh, spirit is right with God and, and that these things haven't uh, turned them away from God uh, uh, and that they, in fact, have repented and, and uh, are forgiven of God. Uh, everyone's got the right to associate with who they want to associate with and to uh, worship with who they want to worship with. But you don't have the right to judge. Jesus said that judge not that you be not judged. So if you dare to judge anybody, then that judgment will come back on you. And, and it will be more severe than it, than it will even be on the person that committed the thing that you're judging them for. So don't don't play games with God, especially with uh, when God uh, forgives somebody. Uh, the most dangerous thing you can possibly do is bring uh, accusations and charges against somebody that God has forgiven. And maybe you won't like it if that person hasn't made confessions to you, but that actually is none of your business, nor none of your right for for anyone to make a confession to you. And, uh, and it doesn't matter if you're an elder, a pastor. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're an evangelist, a prophet. Uh, the only people that anyone has to make confession to is God. And that is a totally different thing than, than the James scripture about confessing your faults one, one to another. 
that's the little bit of Diddy Dadu that uh, uh, I think I was getting a request for some people to uh, have me make straight so that they, they uh, you know, people don't get the wrong idea from my teaching that I'm creating uh, some kind of a proposition where uh, you can just do anything and, and everything and uh, it's all okay. Uh, I'm not into to that facet. Uh, I do believe in being, you know, holy before God, uh, but I also understand things can be very different, very strange, and, and there can be factors that uh, only God can understand. I will leave it to be the case. Uh, that's why I do not judge uh, people who are, who are gays and lesbians. I don't judge them, you know. Uh, now, there might be some of you people say, well, I don't want to be in a church where there's a gay or a lesbian, and, and you wouldn't want to go. Well, that's between you and God. And, and if your attitude is acceptable to God, uh, well, God will let you know. But if it's not, he'll let you know that too. And uh, I'm, I'm more of the nature that I just like to, uh, to, to be forgiving of all human beings and not judge them. Uh, uh, it's, not, it's not my business as long as they are not doing something that's infringing on my spiritual rights or other people's spiritual rights. And, and as long as they are... Uh, doing what they're supposed to do in a, a, a church or a holy place, seeking God and loving God. Uh, I, I don't judge those people. I've had them in my businesses. I've had them work for me. I treat them like anybody else. And I never look down on them or, or anything else. They're just human beings. And, and uh, it's, not my, it's not my right to make a judgment. Now, if you don't like that because I said that and you just as soon throw away all the teachings that you've heard that I've said because of this, you just go right ahead and do it. On the way out, flush the toilet three times and buy. Uh, you don't need to come back uh, because I don't change my teachings because somebody doesn't like some particular thing I say. I teach what I teach because from my heart I believe it and I love souls and I love people and I do not judge them. I do, I do not uh, try to put people down. Uh, it doesn't mean that you are putting somebody down if you're making an opinion as to whether you're safe to be around those people. Uh, that's your choice. You have that right. Uh, but but uh, uh, don't, don't get out there and become an advertising agency to spread uh, the, the problems of those people to the world. Okay. That's enough on that subject. That's way off of the, of the score that I was wanting to teach on today. But I had a couple people thought that would be important. So for their sake, that's what you've gotten. All right. Now, here we go. Let's see if what kind of a setting that is for this teaching I'm going to do. <laughs> wow. All right. Now, we're going, to, we're going to tell you a story. The story is about Gog. G-O-G. And, and that is a strange name, you know. Uh, if it was G-O-D, it would be God, but it's not. It's G-O-G, Gog. Uh, but if you go back in time and you start going into all the different kinds of, um, of, of um, you know, uh, different spellings that you can get from the Assyrians, from the Greeks, 
from the Chaldean, Babylonian connections, uh, from the uh, mix of, in the Mesopotamian uh, 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 peninsulas and valleys and lands. Uh, it, it is just amazing what, what a few of those um, dialectal changes can do to a word. Uh, for instance, um, if we take uh, and we take the word Gog and we transliterate that in the Greek uh, it, it, and, and we start thinking in terms of, you know, uh, of how that the, the Hebrew, for instance, goes together. And then to a certain extent, some of the some of the uh, uh, Greek, is, old ancient Greek is, is, is relative in nature to some of those effects, especially in the Hebrew, how the, the vowels are often not put into uh, into a um, uh, a sentence. It's just to be understood because uh, a lot of the original word was verbal, and so if you've got a G uh, and and uh, and another G side by side, uh, then you have two constants that are that are right one against the other. Now it can be understood that there is to be a vowel that goes in, in between. And that vowel could be a Y, or it could be some of the other letters that could be in there. It could be a W, uh, it could be so forth like that. So um, let's just look at a name that is a famous name that most people have not heard of, uh, called Gyges, uh, uh, G-I-G-E-S, Gyges. And uh, if you take the, the, the G, and then you take the Y, which is being pronounced as an I. You take the the, uh, the next number, uh, next next letter is a G. Then you've got G Y G. If you take the Y out, you've got two consonants G G. Same thing in the Assyr in the Assyrian language. If you take G constant G constant and stack them side by side, and then you put another letter in between. In this case, let's say that you put a U because that's how, that's how it would transliterate if you were doing it in the Assyrian language. So you have a U. So then their word for Gog is G-U-G-U, Gug, Gug. And so that's Gug, and then you got uh, Syges, from the Greek side, Gug from the Assyrian side, and then the transliterated into English, you've got Gog, G-O-G. They're all the same word. They're all the same word, uh, and they just have been, uh, you know, uh, affected by the transliterations that you have in all these different ancient languages. And uh, even then, you know, uh, you take when uh, going back, in, like what is now the land of Turkey, uh, where the um, the um, the Lydians, uh, I like to call them Lydians, uh, L Y D I A N S. Uh, these are the are the children, the offspring of of uh, of um, uh, Gyges, and Gyges, remember now, is Gog. By the time you get through the Assyrian, by the time you get through the Greek, you end up with Gog. So you've got you've got the the um, the uh, Ludians or the Lydians, and they uh, were once fairly powerful uh, nation, and uh, they they were um, known for uh, their archery. 
they were just fantastic. In fact, they were so famous for their archery that um, they were hired uh, as um, protective soldiers on the island of Tyre. And island of Tyre was... Um, almost an impregnable defense. Uh, uh, no nation or army or, or uh, seafaring navy was ever able uh, to conquer it until Alexander the, the, the Great uh, dug the dirt and, and fell in and made a causeway all the way uh, of, of land, all the way out there uh, to the island Tyre. And then after a, a great deal of, uh, of battle, uh, he was able to defeat them. But, but but uh, they, they were famous for their archery. Uh, and it, their archery and their connection uh, really go all of the way back uh, to, to Nimrod, who was a great hunter. And, um, the, and, and we're going to talk about this story because, because it is so uh, absolutely incredible. Now, uh, a lot of people don't know this. But when you when you begin to look into some of these things, uh, and you get you get into this this information about Gog, uh, there are several very very interesting points, and uh, they're just not minor points at all. They're 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 major points, and they're things that uh, you know everybody needs to know. For instance, if you look up Gog in the Strong's Concordance. You know, um, uh, that that is one thing. But then if you keep looking, you will also find there is what's called a Haman, H-A-M-O-N, Gog. And uh, that is number uh, 1996 in the uh, Strong's Concordance. Uh, you might also look at 1995 and 1463 while you're at it, looking into this Gog thing. Ham and Gog, 1996, 1995, 1463. Well, in 2576 of Strong's, that Ham and Gog comes up again, but it has another word that is added to it. And that other word that is added to it is Baal. B-A-A-L, Hammond Gog. Now that is extremely interesting uh, for, for many, many different reasons. Uh, first off, uh, when we think about Nimrod, the name of Nimrod in the Bible, we see the word Cush. But if you do a deep study, you find out he was also called Bel, B-E-L, which is the name of a god, and he was also called Bel, Baal, B-A-A-L. And so um, this thing with the prophets of, of Baal, I mean, <laughs> they were really, really active in, in the Bible days and a mighty force. And, um, uh, and so, so this goes back to the father of Nimrod. And Nimrod was the one who started the, the uh, Tower of Babel. And, and so now... Um, there's been all kinds of propositions and uh, that have been proposed uh, for the reason why they built that tower. Uh, and, and there have been, uh, I've done teachings, uh, you know, called uh, uh, Ed, which was very interesting about some of their research that they were doing. I did another teaching, uh, you know, about um, uh, the uh, contact with, with the... Um, 
the angels who were in Siths, uh, those kind of things. But although the you know the purpose was multiple, no doubt, uh, I now today want to introduce another reason uh, that I believe that um, that uh, there is the connection between Gog and uh, Baal Hamangog. Uh, which is very interesting because it relates to a burial place in Israel uh, for, the, for the fallen gogs that are going to, as according to the, the Bible, uh, uh, be a, a gigantic army and they will come from all the four corners of the earth. Uh, so here, here's how the story goes. Uh, the story goes that, that, I, that they were building that and they were, they were involved in to what we call transpiriting. Now, transpiriting is when uh, you have a, 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 a place that you you um, erect, and uh, and they wanted it, this to be a, a high and lofty place uh, that would be outstanding, and uh, and they try to to send out uh, their spirits, their mind, <coughs> to contact other spirits of other worlds now this is something that is done both with the forces that are dark and with the forces that are are are, are the sons of light uh, we know that jesus went according to the book of peter uh, and he went into uh, the prison uh, where those spirits were that were sometimes disobedient during the, the time of uh, of noah and he he ministered to them uh, he was you know, transpiriting uh, to those people, spirit to spirit. Um, uh, this is called uh, in the Old Testament, and there's quite a few scriptures regarding it, uh, using a familiar spirit. Now, a familiar spirit is just a little bit more than just transpiriting. Uh, it is uh, the next step. It's where you connect yourself with that spirit that you're transpiriting to. And that you take on uh, the the uh, the spirit essence or influence. You take that into yourself, and 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 it becomes a, a familiar spirit uh, to you. And uh, and we believe that this was begun, uh, and we believe it was begun with with um, uh, Gog, uh, and Gog, of course, was belonged to the Alpha world. Uh, that was that was before all, any universe had had ever been uh, put together. Now, if we um, if we look at um, Isaiah, for instance, forty forty one, uh, we've been preaching this scripture to you, but we're going to continue to preach it to you till you've really got it and giving you the proofs. Where it says in Isaiah forty one four, "Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning." I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. This has two ways of saying it. It says that the beginning and the ending, and the first and the last, so that they are uh, a cordial interweave of meaning. And uh, in that sense, then we could look at that and say, okay, now wait a minute, beginning and ending. Does this mean when it says, when God says, the Ome I am the Omega, the beginning. Okay. Now, any time you use the word beginning, 
You know, that, that has uh, the verb, verb aspects to it. And as such, it's a word of action. And so you are initiating something. Uh, it is an initiation. So something that is initiated uh, has the uh, consistency of thought that, that, that it's new or that it's first. Uh, it's, it's not been before. Um, um, uh, in the sense that that particular initiation is uh, its own distinct initiation. Not that there may not have been another initiation that was very uh, uh, common to that, very similar to that. But, but it seems that just by God being the Alpha and the Omega, uh, he is saying, I, at one time, after untold eons of eternities, of living in the, the world of my own mind, and only living unto myself in the glory of myself, and the, the dignities of myself, uh, decided to go outside into the, into the, the space and to begin uh, uh, a, a, a new thing. And, and that is the, what was called the beginning. You could never apply the word beginning to the God that always was. There never was a beginning. There never was an ending. The, the God that always was, the, the God of his, of his mind world, uh, does, doesn't have a beginning. But he went out into this, let's call it outer space, outside of this domain, dimension of, of the mind of God, and he started a beginning. And that first beginning was called the Alpha Ages. And we have that here in this scripture in Isaiah 41, 4. Uh, he hath wrought and done it. Yeah, that's God. He's wrought and done it. Calling the generations. Now, generations have to do with life from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and the last. And there you have the first, the last, the beginning, the ending. You have the Alpha, the Omega. And so we have the Alpha Ages, the Alpha Generation Ages, and we have the Omega Generation Ages. We called in the Holy Manifest some of the people that lived back there in the Alpha Ages. We called them Alphans. And, and uh, uh, so um, uh, as, we begin, as we begin to see this revelation of the Alphans, uh, we begin to realize that there is an awesome revelation here. An awesome revelation. And, and this whole thing goes back all the way to the first Babylon. No wonder, no wonder the angels of God descended and came down to see what was going on. They recognized, they recognized uh, that there was something here happening. Uh, uh, they were, they were, these people were, 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 were breaking a code. They were trying to go back in time and to reach into a world beyond their universe, a world of the Alphans. They were trying to connect with Gog. And that's what they were up to, was to connect with God. And the angels of God knew at all costs that connection had to be stopped. Because the Gog thing was dangerous information. And it wasn't the will of God that that information should be transmitted 
to the people of this universe. But as you can see, it did happen, and we're going to tell you more of that story. We're going to take just a short break here and listen to some organ music.
Thank you again, Janet Lee. <clears throat> okay, and here we go. We're back talking about Gog. And uh, I want to read something interesting. Uh, I'm reading from the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Greek Bible uh, that the, um, the apostles and, and uh, the early Christians read. It was the, it was the, the Bible, the book. And um, I want to read uh, from it, uh, of the Greek from the Greek translation, transliterated into English, um, Amos chapter 7, verse 1. This is what it says. Thus the Lord showed me a swarm of locusts. Thus the Lord showed me a swarm of locusts were coming. And behold... One of the young, uh, devastating, was Gog, the, the king. Now, this says something incredible. And if you read it in the King James, you don't get anything like that out of it. But if you do dig into the, uh, uh, you know, into, into the ancient uh, Hebrew, and um, uh, like, for instance, if you get into... Um, uh, in the, in the in the Hebrew, uh, fourteen sixty two, fourteen sixty one, fourteen sixty three, and uh, you 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 find a connection uh, with very careful reading. Uh, fourteen sixty one is uh, G U W B, Gug, to dig, husbandman. So we have. The characterization of a person, a husbandman, a leader, a head. Um, in 1463, we have G O W G, Gug, Gog. And in 1462, we have a word meaning locusts. which is connected with 1461. And so we're going to be able to show you that this thing of the locusts is connected to the Gog, Gog invasion that it speaks about in the book of Revelation. Now, very likely not have time to do that today, but it's going to be an exciting journey that we're going to be on. And, and we have talked about the praying mantis. Well, there, they, the locusts were called praying locusts. And you can find that with a little bit of research. And we're not talking P-R-E-Y like predator. But we're talking about prey, P-R-A-Y. Praying locusts. And a uh, strange name to be given to any uh, insect type of critter, critter. So there's just a whole lot more to this whole thing. And so that... Um, uh, you know, the Bible does say that not every, everybody prays to God. There's different people that pray to different gods. And, I, and, and there's no question in my mind that, that, that Lucifer Satan is, you know, in his mind a god and that he's got demons that pray to him and, and, and other people that pray to him. So there is just a whole lot to this, and we're going to open some of this uh, revelation up 
about this dark dawn uh, that 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 uh, is. Uh, Something tied into the original Babylon uh, and the follow followers of uh, Beelzebub, uh, Lord of the Flyers, and uh, we're going to really uh, connect a lot of interesting thing. Uh, the word Baal, uh, you mean Lord? It means Lord. Uh, it also means sun god, sun being a star, sun, the star in the book of Revelation, rep, uh, seven stars represent seven universes. Uh, so we can say worlds, and that then could also include uh, a representation, a symbolism of the alpha world uh, that was, and the alpha generations. And um, uh, we we just begin to get pretty excited of all the things that 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 it has and that it proposes and, and we don't want to forget uh this this connection uh you know with um uh, with nimrod how that he was married to astaroth uh, queen of heaven and uh, how that uh uh you know there was uh so much involved uh in, in his family that had to do with these uh these uh you know these spirits and uh and uh these these spirits were uh you know uh were were, e were evil and they were all under the nimrod uh baal uh type of of uh thing so we need to understand exactly what did happen with this nimrod thing exactly how that's connected to the praying locust uh, that it describes uh, in the book of uh, the ninth chapter of um, of Revelation, and how that that affects us, how this familiar spirit thing is. You remember in First uh, Samuel twenty eight three uh, through nine, uh, when Saul went out to find uh, a, 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 a a woman with a familiar spirit who could bring up spirits from the dead, and uh, and at first she was afraid when she found out who it was, but then he said, your, your life is guaranteed. No one will harm you. So she brought up the spirit of, of Samuel. And, and Samuel was agitated. What do you, what do you bother me for? What, you know, I, I don't have any relationship with you. I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, but he was, she was able to bring up that spirit of, of, uh, of, of Samuel. Uh, so we know that the familiar uh, uh, spirit gift is a capability of reaching into the spirit world and uh, and dealing with the dead, uh, dealing with the spirits of the dead. And we know that that can happen on both sides, both from the spiritual side, where Jesus went and preached to the spirits, and there's other examples in the Bible, and, and then on the dark side, uh, where there's the witches with familiar spirits. Um, this is nothing to be looked at lightly. This uh, spirit, trans, you know, this transpiriting uh, is a real thing. It's powerful, and uh, and as we're going to get into this revelation about about uh, uh, you know uh, Gog, it's going to be amazing. Now, here's the story that is told by um, a scientist, Plato, and also told by uh, Herodotus. Uh, uh, these two great historians, uh, you know, Plato, it's interesting. He told the story of Atlantis. Uh, 
And a lot of people, you know, thought that, ah, it must just be a myth. But yet, there's still archaeologists, there's still scientific people searching to find what might be the Atlantis. Now, we know what the Atlantis, we know where that was. We know that that came off of the... Um, uh, uh, off of the Lebanon uh, uh, area, and and that it fell into the Mediterranean Sea, and uh, and that when the uh, that great rift flood happened, a lot of that debris was pushed right up against the uh, the high sides of that rift, uh, that the water went over from the Mediterranean into the into the Black Sea. Uh, we know that there are all kinds of things happening right now with the archaeological world. Discoveries are being made sensational. For instance, um, you know, uh, in Jerusalem, they've found uh, a, a wall that belongs to the original uh, uh, Solomon uh, uh, Temple. And, uh, and then in India, uh, out some great distance uh, off their shores into the sea, they found a city, and this city, they had information in their uh, uh, their history, but they thought it was just a mythological thing. They just thought it couldn't possibly be true. But now they have found and proven that that mythological thing was a real thing. It was a real city. They found it, and, and it's ancient, 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 ancient. And so lots of things that people say that's just myth, they are discovering not just myth. They're real. They really were. Now, Plato said this thing about Atlantis. That's real. There really was an Atlantis. And we've done, you, you know, if you want to go to the archives, listen to some of my teachings, you can, uh, you can hear the teaching on uh, the Atlantis thing uh, through the Garden of Eden and all of that. Um, but he also mentions another story. And this is a very interesting story. He talks about this young man by the name of, of, um, of Gyges. And we talked about Gyges as being the name of Gog. And this young man, um, you know, he is um, out shepherding some animals. And as he's out there, there is suddenly an earthquake. It's a really gigantic earthquake. And, and the earth begins to split open in places. And over against these, this sort of a mountain ridge, there's a big hole that opens up. <coughs> After the earthquake settles down, Gyges walks over to this cave. And he looks in, and he sees something that looks sort of shining. So he gets some light. He goes inside, and there is in there this huge, huge monument that is a horse made out of bronze. This gigantic horse has been buried inside this huge cave and opened up by this earthquake. And he's just astounded. And you can imagine how overwhelmed a person would be to discover something like that. And he begins to wonder well, exactly what is this bronze, uh, copper, copperish horse? What, what is it doing here? He goes up to the, the horse and he finds this sort of a, a place, a crack, that he can sort of see through and shine the light in. And when he does, he sees 
the skeletal remains, all intact, of what obviously was a giant. Because this is the bones and the head, they're very, 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 very elongated. They're very huge. Uh, uh, it was a giant. And, he's, he, and, and then he sees enough to know that this giant was a king. And he also notices something glittering on the bone fingers of one of his hands. And he sees that it's a ring. Well, an overwhelming desire comes over him. He wanted to get that ring. So he finds a way to get into this bronze horse and to get to that skeleton, that king, that dead king, and to take off the ring. He takes the ring, gets outside of the cave, and sits down, looking at it, feeling it. The ring has a colic, C-O-L-L-E-T. And this colic can be turned. So as he turns this colic, he becomes invisible. And he realizes, because he can't see his legs, so he turns it back the other way, and he becomes flesh again. Now, this story, told by Plato and Herodotus, or Herodotus, however you like to say it, was copied, not in the entirety, but in parts. For instance, by H.G. Wells, when he made the movie, The Invisible Man. That's where that story came from. It's also got aspects of it tied into the Lord of the Rings. There is a lot of history about this story of Gyges and this invisible ring. He takes this ring and he goes into to Lydia, which most people will call it Lydia, and he becomes a bodyguard for the king. And then there's a story there that has to do with some young lady that the king wanted to have for his wife, but um, Gyges decides to have it for himself, and uh, he takes over. He kills that king, takes over the, the kingdom, and becomes the king himself. And he raises an army, and uh, he becomes a warlord. And there's a lot of story here. Well, who was that king? That dead king? It's interesting how that prophets of God, like Ezekiel, were told, go out to this valley. And he goes out to the valley, he says, see all those dead bones? Prophesy to them. So he begins to transpiriting to those bones because the bones don't have any value if they don't have spirit. The Bible says, you know, the body without the spirit is dead. So if you want to change it from those bones from being dead, you have to, you have to do transpiriting. So he had to transpirit to get those, that happening first before he started putting all of the articles of, 
of uh, metabolism of flesh and, and blood and, and so forth uh, into those uh, people. But the people of God have been involved in these kind of things. There's a story here. There's a story there. You have to sort of mesh it all together. You, you have to pipe it into one uh, reality. And you begin to see some incredible, incredible, incredible things. So now we've got a king that obviously might go back in time. Maybe back in time to someone in connection with Nimrod who transpirited the spirit essence of Gog down to earth. Now when that transpiriting takes place, it becomes a, a possession of a familiar spirit. So that person has <clears throat> their own spirit, but they also have the familiar spirit in them besides. And no doubt, from that time, of Nimrod, because of the connection of Baal being the father of Nimrod, and the connection of the word Gog with the Baal Hamangog, those being tied together, shows that there was a connection of Gog to Baal, which is the, was the father of Nimrod. Which brings the story all together to show that there was a transpiriting of Gog way, way back then. They did succeed, even though the angels of God came down and confounded the languages. There were still those, no doubt, like Nimrod or some of his offspring that were able to carry that on. And then the last one, and what a story there might be to tell there, whether I will ever get around to it, I don't know, of this king in the bronze horse. Yes, I'd like to tell that story. It belongs in the book of the wars, the lost book of the wars. And I, I could tell that story, but we won't be doing that for a while. And there's this king, he is dead. Well, Gog was dead too. They had to take and raise the, the spirit essence from Gog. So the spirit essence of a dead spirit person, but still has a spirit essence, came and was transferred on earth, then went to uh, different uses through um, Nimrod, and then finally this king has it, and for some reason, uh, perhaps the wars of Moses and Joshua, when they were extinguishing and, and wiping out a lot of the, the giants, that uh, this giant ended up being uh, one of the great giants uh, that had this familiar spirit, but that he was also killed. And then he was buried. And they buried him. The people that buried him reverenced him. And that's why this horse, this monument... And, and he, was a, he was a warrior. Now this has passed on through this ring to Gyges. And Gyges now has the familiar spirit. So that he is a human 
And he is Gog, not in the sense that he is only Gog. He is Gog in the sense that he bears Gog's familiar spirit. It's like there are carriers, these humans that, that are fallen off of them, and they go to the other side and they take on these things. Now, isn't it interesting then when we get into the 13th chapter of Revelations? And John says, oh, did I ever see something? Oh, my God. There's this beast rising up out of the, out of the sea. And it says he's got seven heads, ten horns, but there's something really strange. One of the heads has been wounded to death. It's a dead head. <clears throat> well, we know that this beast is not the dragon. Because the Bible says in the 13th chapter that the dragon gives power to this beast. And the authority for the beast to do what it does. So this dead head is no doubt represents Gog. Baal Gog. And it is... It's, it's something that's been dead, but the deadly wound has been healed. How does the deadly wound get healed? <clears throat> when the familiar spirit of that dead entity is revitalized by being able to come as a familiar spirit into the body of another person and become an associate spirit with that other person, God lives again as a familiar spirit in that person. And the wounded head... The king lives again. Now even the Antichrist, which is the little horn that comes up later, is also given instructions to pay tribute to this beast that had the deadly wound that was healed. The deadly head, the, the, the deadly wound to the head that was healed. So now we'll be able to take that scripture by scripture but today I'm just sort of telling the story. I, I wouldn't have the time to go through all the scriptures. And then we look at the, at, and, uh, you know, this thing of the ring. And someone says, yeah, but, you know, there's nothing in the Bible about a ring like that. Oh, yes, there is. It's all through the Bible. It's just a, it's an invisible Bible and you don't know it. It's invisible to you because of the terms that it used. You see, when the Bible talks about sealing God's people in their forehead, you can go back to the Old Testament, and when Aaron was sealed in his forehead, was a literal thing like with the insignia of a ring. And so the sealing of God's people has got to do with a ring. It's the story of a ring. It's like the king's insignia that says, this is my word and it will be. But then there's the dark side. And so, when it talks about the mark of the beast, that's the same thing. That's what a seal is. A seal is the mark of the king. So the mark of the beast is also a seal, but it's the evil seal. So not to confuse the, the two kinds of sealing, one's called the mark, one's called the seal. But they both have to do with the ring. They both mean ring. King's ring. One's the king on the Gog side, the other's the king on Christ's side. The ring is a big, big thing. 
And how does this tie into the mark of the beast? Well, you know, proton, neutron, electron, 666, the number of carbon, which carbon is what humans are made out of, number of a man. Now there's more to it than just it being a man. Okay, now what kind of a man? <coughs> well, Gog comes from the sixth dimension. And we've done that teaching many, many years. And so, it's the Gog man, familiar spirit, that transpirates into a person, and that person takes is a king, and takes on that spirit, and has the familiar spirit, and his spirit, and the head is healed. And he has the insignia of the ring, the mark of the beast. And there's so much more. And it's beautiful. But there's a vanished world out there. A lost world of the word of God. <clears throat> that people have not been able to get that information. They've not been able to get that insight. And someone might say, yeah, but are all these kinds of, of, of words, I mean, are they in the Bible? Yeah, they are. They are in the Bible. And, and, and that's what's, you know, absolutely, uh, absolutely incredible. You know, uh, for instance, um, the Luden, which is Lydia, warriors, <coughs> Excuse me, are mentioned in Isaiah sixty six nineteen, Jeremiah forty six nine, Ezekiel twenty seven ten, and Ezekiel thirty five. So L U D I N is the same thing as L Y D I A N. It just has to do with all these different spellings from the different kinds of um, of languages. The interesting thing about it that's so interesting, the chief cities of Lydia <laughs> are the same cities in Asia Minor where John, the revelator, went to live and where he, where he died and passed on. He outlived all of the disciples. He outlived Paul. And he went to this area in Turkey and, and uh, Ephesians, that was the city of the goddess Diane, which is all connected all the way back to this king of Babylon and all this kind of stuff. And, and it, it was a war pod. This, this was an area of, of, of where the soldiers of God, Paul, went and preached there. He had his first convert, a lady, by the name of, of Lydia, was converted there. And Ephesians and Smyrna and, and, and all these different, uh, you know, well-known names that are, that are mentioned as the, you know, the, the, the names of the churches. It's the same name, Sardis. That's one of, it's the same names that this Lydian, you know, uh, thing was about. Sardis, in fact, was their capital, the capital of Lydia. Now, it's interesting that John would know about Gog and Magog. He wrote about them, you know. He wrote about them. Their armies coming and 
and coming from the four corners of the world? Sure, it's interesting you'd know about it because he lived right there where the Lydians were, there where their history was. He lived among all of that story. And although the Roman Empire reached all the way to that area, they didn't bother those people over there, and John was never persecuted or bothered there in that area once he got be over there and, and uh, off the island of Patmos. Now we begin to see how that there is so much information. Like, there are records in cuneiforms, thousands of cuneiforms, Assyrian and uh, type of cuneiforms that, that tell these stories. But there's plenty of it in the Bible. And there's plenty of scriptures <coughs> that we can give you. Someone says, well, how do you know that? Well, you know, if you look up the word L-U-D, lewd, L-U-D, that's the same word that means ludia or lydia. Same word to which is connected, gyges. And that's all through the Bible. And, uh, and they, were, they tell about how that lud our lewd, were noted archers. Isaiah 66, 19. Jeremiah 46, 9. We begin to see that that if we look at this word uh, lewd, or Lydia, you can find that uh, in Ezekiel 27, 10. Ezekiel 38, 5. Strong's Hebrew 03866. <coughs> Taken from Strong's 3865. Wow. Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of information about, about it. But you have to know the names in order to connect the story. You have to know the names. Strong's uh, 3070. Ludia. It, 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 look it up. The fourth son of Shem, progenitor of the, the Ludians, was this Lud. So, the story's in the Bible. It just has to be pieced together. It just has to be put together in a way that, that you can understand it because it's there and it's real. And it's not... It's not, it's not a, a, a game. And I showed you how that uh, in Amos that there was a prophecy in the Septuagint that, that this king called Gog was going to lead these armies against the promised land. But when you read it in the King James, unless you go into the, the ancient language and see how that that's connected with the locusts, that are that come out of this bottomless pit and out of the smoke and how that all is connected to this incredible genius thing that Lucifer is doing it would be lost it would be a vanished world it'd be an invisible bible to you 
there is a hoary deep. And there is many stories of that hoary deep. <clears throat> and we're just beginning to open a lot of these things, you know, in the spirit about these various kinds of tree transposition. And how that they have a spiritual coherence that has affected the spirit world and is still affecting it <clears throat> both now and in the future. There's lots of scriptures on the familiar spirits. I don't need to read them all. There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. There's at least 15 or more scriptures we want to get, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, we want to get more into this thing about um, what this praying, the praying uh, mantis uh, and locusts, how that is all going to tie into the invasion of the gogs. Uh, we want to, um, you know, uh, really be able to have you capable of knowing this word so that you can know it just as real as you know yourself. And we begin to see that this Satan's seat, Satan's seat, it's just about, he's just about represented everywhere. And a lot more places than people had ever imagined. And this thing of the seal and the ring, like we ministered to you before, like in Job 9, 7, he sealeth up the stars. He sealeth up the hand of every man. We're talking about sealing, we're talking about the king's seal. I'm talking about God's seal. And it's important because it goes right to the end of, of time. Thou shalt not hurt any of these people until I have sealed them on their forehead. Until I have put the insignia of the ring. I remember when I was just a little boy. I used to have this dream over and over and over. You will go a long ways if you don't lose your ring. And I always wonder, what's the ring? What is the ring? We've had other prophecies and things. God has told us about the ring. There's something there about how that God can seal in you by the Holy Ghost, by the signet of God's ring. That, that's how a person gets, you know, the promise of, of the gifts of God. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Once God gives you a gift, he doesn't have it, a condition to it, where he says, okay, if you do this, okay, that's that, I'm taking back my gift. He gave it to you. It's yours to use for the kingdom or to misuse or to not use. 
but the gifts of God, the callings of God are without repentance. And when God decides to give a person immunity, we'll call it, that's God's business. But that doesn't mean, as I said earlier in this meeting, that you will not be made to lie down in green pastures or be forced to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Those things continue on. There's an ancient and invisible truth that has been sealed and can only be made known by the Holy Ghost. John 14, 26 says the Holy Ghost will teach us all things and bring all things to our remembrance and that he has sealed the hand of every man. You have a birthright to know. You have a birthright to know. The light of the kingdom of God is born in every person. John 1, 9. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Now we see, as I've been ministering all these reflective things from God's word, how that these issues in the Bible that seem so out of line and strange, things like Ezekiel walking, uh, Ezekiel telling about Lucifer walking up and down among the Stones of fire. It's, it's, it's just amazing. Stories like that and, and the meanings of, of, of when they're interpreted and what they mean. <clears throat> thing with the ring is far more advanced and far more beautiful than anything that can be imagined. Glory be to God. And the little book of Revelation, Revelations 10.2, is all coming to be. It's all coming around. As we begin to understand the forever and ever. As we begin to understand the Alpha world. As we begin to understand how that the sons of, of Noah had wives that carried some of the genes. That began to come forth as, they, as, as the sons of Noah had children that belonged to the dark side. We're tired of looking through the glass darkly. There's a, a wisdom hidden from the eyes of all living, the Bible says in Job. But, but Jesus said, in order to get into all these things and really get into the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again from above. 
And that's coming into this knowledge of who you are and why you are here. And coming into the knowledge that there are things that have happened in another universe that you need to know because they belong to your glory. They're ordained for your glory. Gog is a real force and a real power. And nothing to be treated lightly. You don't want to go out there and start removing the ancient landmarks or forget Isaiah 44, 7, how that God has appointed the ancient people. Nor forget the scripture that says, that God has declared these things from ancient time and that we're to remember the former things of old of old, because they declare from the old times what the beginning of the new times will be and what the end will be. Wow. And we talked about the day that would come in, in Daniel 7, 9, and 13, and 22, that the, the ancient would sit and set up his thrones. And this ancient knowledge is, is now beginning to sit and now beginning to, to operate, beginning to operate in a spiritual way. And you're being able to share these things and to learn these things. We discover that the word world in the King James is actually cosmos, universe. And we preach about this and we keep repeating it. Go you into all the universe and preach the gospel. Suddenly, we are expanded from this little cosmic speck of dust called the earth. And our, our framework, our range, is expanded to the entire universe. And then not long, and we begin to expand into the understanding and knowledge of the other universes. And now, with Gog, beyond all of the universes, to the Alpha Ages. God is setting us up. The Bible says when this knowledge begins to come into us the exponential ratio of your knowledge will be so great that you'll be able to put 10,000 doubters to flight. Revelations 9 the key is given to Satan to the, to the bottomless pit and he opens it and what an exhibit that he puts on but there is a recovery of spiritual truth that is happening today with God's ministry, holy manifest ministry. That inexhaustible moment with the Holy Ghost is circumcising our hearts and bringing us into truths that have not been defined, nor labeled, nor understood. 
the developing room of God is being opened and the negatives are being put into pictures. The angels in the river of Euphrates, Revelations 9, 14, 16 and 12, have an ancient message we will be, we will be talking about. And so, this is a lot of food I've given you. Next week, I want to read more of the story of the gogs from the Holy Manifest and talk about some more of these things. God bless you and keep you. Cause His face to shine upon you. May His healing Holy Spirit touch you. And may love be your prince and princess. May love go before you, guide you, keep you. We love you. God bless.